All right, well, I'm going to dispense from all the pleasantries and icebreakers because we have a lot to say this evening. So take your Bibles with me. Turn to Romans chapter 6, please. Romans chapter 6. If you need a Bible to read along, please raise your hand. The ushers will get you a copy uh, to read along with us. Romans chapter 6. Um, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand with me, please, at this time, and we'll begin reading at verse number 14, and I'm going to read through verse number 18, Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse number 14 and through to verse number 18. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name. Thank you, Lord, for the great privilege we have of standing in this place tonight and singing praises to your name, the joy that we have in giving unto your work that, that the labors may, may be done. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the opportunity we have tonight to open your blessed word and to preach from that word. Now, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would help me now to only speak those things that will edify and will build up. Help me to preach with a love and compassion in my heart for my fellow Christians. Use this time to strengthen us, to enlighten us, and to empower us. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, let me begin tonight with a disclaimer. Uh, I do not want to offend anyone. I do not want to make anyone angry this evening. But before the night's over, I can promise you that I will make someone upset. I may make some people angry. See, the preaching of God tends to do that, amen? amen. However, let me say tonight, I have no axes to grind. Everything I say, everything I preach will be, will be said in a spirit of edification and love. So, with that said, buckle your seatbelts and let's get started. Tonight I'm going to take the time to lay the groundwork and introduce my lesson entitled Make Me a Servant. Um, I will finish the lesson next week, so if you don't like introductions, just wait and come back next week for the practical applications. But tonight we're going to introduce this study. Paul, in his writings of, of Romans, has just finished his presentation concerning the doctrines of justification. Now, this doctrine was not readily accepted by all believers. Some saw this doctrine as being licentious or being undisciplined or, or even immoral. Others saw this doctrine of, of justification that Paul preached as an opportunity or license to satisfy the lust of the flesh or to sin at will, if you, if you will. 
But here in chapter 6, Paul refutes the charge brought against this doctrine as being a licentious doctrine. And by the way, it, it is interesting to note that even still today, men charge that the doctrines of justification as presented by those of us who believe in the sovereignty of God is a licentious doctrine. They're still arguing the same arguments that the Jews did back in Paul's day. But Paul will now turn his attention to the higher expectations, if you will. The truth that grace does not exempt us from the spirit and intent of the law, but rather it places us under a greater expectation. Lost men attempt to live under the law in a vain effort to earn righteousness. Yet, we who are God's children know that this is impossible. As the law was never written to give unregenerate man a system of works whereby he could earn or gain heaven. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes in verses 24 and 25, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Do you see that? Paul says that the law was a schoolmaster. Now, I'm a teacher. Every day, five days a week, I walk into that door, have someone bar it behind me, and I stay in there all day long with 14 teenagers. I scratch and scream and cry and crawl, but no one lets me out. I'm in there to instruct them, to guide them, and to teach them. And such is the law. In Romans chapter 3, Paul writes this, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And we see here that the law was our schoolmaster. The law is our teacher to teach us of our own guilt. We see that the law was given to show man his guilt. As Paul stated, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. This is further evidenced as God's intent when he stated in Ephesians chapter 2, Verses 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you and I can gain salvation by our adherence to the law, then salvation is not of Christ. It is of works. And if our salvation is the result of our keeping the law, then we can indeed boast tonight. We can boast that we have done what so many cannot do. However, our justification is not in the law. Our justification is in Christ Jesus. The accomplishment of our justification 
was not dependent upon our actions. And the continuance of our justification is not reliant upon our actions. There was nothing I could do to become justified, and there's nothing I can do to remain justified. However, this truth does not give us a license to sin. Our justification doesn't mean that we can go ahead and do whatever we want to do. It does not give us a right to sin in the face of the knowledge that God has redeemed us, has forgiven us, and it is the, the, the intercessory work of Christ that keeps us saved. It does not give us a license to sin. It does not allow us to go out and do what we want to do with the knowledge that God will forgive us of our sins by virtue of our salvation through Christ. In fact, it indebts us. It indebts us to live our life worthy of the great gift that we have been given. As you sit here tonight, if you are indeed born again, if you are a child of God, you have a greater expectation upon you. God has given you his grace and his mercy. And now you are obligated, if you will, to live a life worthy of our great God. Paul states in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye were called. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul writes, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Now this is not to say that we can earn our salvation. It does not mean that we can live a life acceptable to God. By the way, God does not expect us to pay him back for the gift he has given us. But what it does imply is that we are to live the rest of our life with the knowledge and the understanding that God is worthy of all our love and of our complete obedience. When I was a boy, I heard of the customs of some cultures. You've probably heard of this same custom. The custom that when a person saved your life, you were indebted to that person for the rest of your life. How many of you watched Tarzan movies when you were kids? Yeah, you know, if the guy saved your life, you... You owed him your life. You had to spend the rest of your life serving him, being his servant or his slave. Now, I don't know how such a philosophy came into existence, but I sure do wish that it was one that Christians would develop. I grow weary of Christians who show absolutely no appreciation for the grace they have been given and for the God that gave it to them. Oh, they talk a good game. They claim with their mouth to love and appreciate God, but they deny this by their actions. This very appreciation is is cast underfoot 
they absence themselves from church, putting their own agendas and their own priorities ahead of God. They rob the tithe, putting their own selfish needs ahead of the needs of the ministry and of others. They yield themselves to lifestyles and activities that are both abominable and reproachable to God. Need I remind us tonight that for these very reasons God sent Israel into captivity over and over again? Now, I have a bunch of scriptures on your sheet. As you notice, there's no fill-in-blanks tonight. This is all introduction, pure introduction. No practical applications will be given yet. But I've listed a lot of scriptures there. I've listed a set of scriptures from Judges. Corey, would you bring that up? Over and over and over again, when we read in Judges, we read, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. In Judges chapter 2, verse 11, They cried unto the Lord, and he heard them, and he delivered them. Then in Judges 3, 7, And again, the children of of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they cried unto him, and he heard them, and he redeemed them, and he saved them. Then again in Judges chapter 3 and verse 12, the children of the Lord did evil in his sight, and then they cried unto him, and he heard them, and he delivered them. Then again in Judges chapter 4 and verse 1, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they cried unto him, and he heard them, and he delivered them. Then again in Judges chapter 6 and verse 1, they did the same thing. And again in Judges chapter 10 and verse 6, and again in Judges chapter 13 and verse 1. But it doesn't end there because they didn't learn their lessons. And then the generations that followed the judges followed in their footsteps and did evil in the sight of the Lord, living lives that dishonored God and his grace upon them. In 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 6, in 1 Kings chapter 14 and verse 22, in 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 26, in 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 34, chapter 16 and verse 7, chapter 16 and verse 19, chapter 16 and verse 30, chapter 22 and verse 52, in 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse 18, chapter 8 verse 27, chapter 13 verse 2, chapter 13 verse 11, chapter 14 verse 24, chapter 15 verse 9, chapter 15 verse 18, chapter 15 verse 24, chapter 15 verse 28, chapter 17 verse 2, chapter 21 verse 2, chapter 21 verse 20, chapter 23 verse 32, Chapter 23, verse 37. Chapter 24, verse 9. Chapter 24, verse 19. Second Chronicles, chapter 22 and verse 4. Chapter 33 and verse 2. Chapter 33 and verse 22. Chapter 36 and verse 5. Chapter 36 and verse 9. Chapter 36 and verse 12. And I got to tell you, I got tired of looking them up. And in each one of these verses, we see that the, that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And can I tell you something? We're doing the same thing in our churches across America tonight. Living lives that dishonor our God, that dishonor our great Lord and Savior. Just think about how far we have digressed over the years. Think about your grandparents for a moment. Now, you really younger guys, you can't think about your grandparents. That's not fair. But those of us who are above the age of 35, think about your grandparents for a moment. Let me ask you this. Would your grandparents have watched the television programs of today? Or would they have thrown their TV sets out the front door? 
My grandparents would have, my grandpa would have went and got a hammer and pounded the TV to, to rubble if, if the programs that are aired on television today were aired in his day. Would they read the books we read? Would they read about the vampires? I'm not going to go there. I ought to go there, though. I ought to go there and park for a while. But I'm not. Would they have worked or played on Sunday? You know, when I was a boy, nothing was open on Sunday. Nothing. Matter of fact, in my hometown, the bars had to close at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning. They couldn't open up again until Monday. Would they be as selfish? And would they be as self-satisfying as we are today, so worried about our own, what we want and how, how, how important we are? Now, it is true today that we have advanced technologically, no doubt about it. We've advanced in medical treatments, and I'm so thankful for that. My son sits on the back row tonight because medical science was able to, to, to help him through something that uh, when my grandparent was a boy, he, he would have never survived. And I'm thankful for that. We, we've had great, great advancements. Don't get me wrong. We've advanced in intellectual achievements. We now have electronic devices that fit in the palm of our hands that can hold more information than we could store in the Library of Congress. We, 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 have, we can hold little bitty machines in our hand that will allow us to instantly speak with someone on the other side of the globe. We've advanced, no doubt about it. We've advanced technologically, but at what cost? I fear that in all our advancements, we've lost our dependence and our reliance upon God. And I fear that we, God's children, have failed to live by the same faith as our forefathers did. And in doing so, we have reared a generation that knows little to nothing of God and his mighty works. In Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, we read, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And what was the result of this? What was the result of this generation who knew not the Lord? Well, we read just the very next verses, Judges chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. Listen, parents, and grandparents, by the way, you need to get your children to church on Wednesday evening. I know people who keep their kids home from church because they don't want them to be too tired for school the next day. I would rather send my child to school on Thursday a little tired than keep them out of church on Wednesday evening. Get your children under the teaching of the Word of God. Get your children to church for Sunday school. By the way, we, run, we do conduct a Sunday school here. Well, I don't like that format. Who are you here for? Are you here to worship and praise God? 
Or are you here to satisfy yourself? Get to church on Sunday and get your children there with you and your grandchildren. Get your children to church for our worship services. What in the world could possibly be more important for your children than to be in the house of God on the Lord's Day? That was weak. There's nothing more important. There's nothing more important on Sunday than having your children sitting in one of these pews, not doodling, not drawing pictures, not writing notes, not sleeping, but sitting up straight, looking at the preacher, listening to every word he has to speak. Because Job said that he would live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Every word is important. Get your children in church. And the best way to do that is get yourself there. The end result of missing church and laying out of church is is that this will be a generation of young people who only attend church when there's nothing else to do. Church will be a good thing, but it won't be the primary thing. You see, I fear that too many Christians fail to understand the importance of the church. And by the way, Try showing up for work the way you do for church. See how long you keep your job. Walk in and tell your boss, sorry, but we have something better to do today. So I won't be able to attend work. You would say, man, are you crazy? My boss wouldn't stand for that. Well, we expect God to stand for it. don't we? Every time we miss church, that's what we're telling God. I got something more important to do. I got something better to do right now. So, sorry. When you don't show up for church, aren't we saying that very thing to God? Sorry, God, but we have something better to do today, so we won't, we won't be in church. You see, we don't, we don't seem to care about what God, we're worried about what our boss would think, but we don't seem to care about what God thinks. Because We miss church whenever we feel like missing church with no remorse or guilt. And we stand by and offer our lame excuses for why we're doing it. But regardless of what excuse we make, the end result will be the same. And the end result will be that future generations will face an apostate church because we have failed to impress upon them the value and the importance of being in church on the Lord's day. By the way, it's called the Lord's Day for a reason. It's his day. It belongs to him. It's not yours. It's not, it's not for you to decide what to do. What to do is already decided. I don't, build my, I, don't build, I don't fit church into my schedule. I build my schedule around church. We need to be in church. Why? Because in church, in it, we praise his name. In it, we worship him. In it, we bring our tithes and our offerings. Through it, we serve him. We serve the Lord. And we do it in his presence. And we do it the way that he has ordained us to do it. In Hebrews chapter 10, Paul writes in verses 24 and 25, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. By the way, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm trying to provoke you unto good works. Amen. 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Quiet in here. And by the way, while I'm stepping on some toes, I may as well stomp on all of them. No sense in going this far and not finishing, amen? If we can muster the strength to go to work sick, if we can muster the strength to go to school sick, then why can't we muster the strength to come to church sick? Is the worship of God so unimportant? Can't we sit in the pew sick just as easily as we can sit on the couch in front of the TV sick? Is an hour too much to ask? Oh, then I, I, this is the one that I get all the time. Well, I'm not there, but I listen to the recordings. Well, guys, let me tell you something. Try that one on your anniversary, okay? <laughs> Try it on your anniversary. Sorry, dear, I love you, but I can't be at dinner with you. Just video it, and I'll catch it on YouTube. <laughs> I've even had people tell me, well, while we're away from church at our outings, we use that opportunity to witness to others about Christ. Oh, you forsake the Lord and disobey him so you can go witness to other people. But to that I say, what better witness could you offer than to witness of the importance of honoring and obeying God by being in church? By saying, I won't participate in this on Sunday because Sunday is the Lord's day. What better way could you witness? Consider this logically for a moment. When I absence myself from other things to honor God and be present at the preaching of his word, I then demonstrate that God is more important than anything else. But conversely, when I absence myself from the worship and preaching services of the church, I then demonstrate that other things are equal to or perhaps even more important than God. You know the old saying, your actions or your words talk and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks? See, your actions speak louder than your words. If God isn't important enough for you to be present at the worship services of the church, then how will you convince someone of their need for Christ? What a sorry lot of Christians we are today. Listen, we will not be worthy to stand in the presence of men such as Moses and David and Daniel or Paul. Not to even mention how unworthy we are to stand in the presence of Christ our Lord. Yet, as unworthy as we are, God has redeemed us and made us his joint heirs with his son. So I say unto Berean Baptist Church, isn't it high time we start living as his children? And by the way, don't get mad at me for preaching this tonight. If this preaching pricks us at our heart, let's not get angry. Let's give thanks. Let's give thanks that God has spoken to us and give thanks that the Holy Spirit has convicted us. Why? Solomon states it best in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, where he writes, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Even as a father, the son 
in whom he delighteth. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. Our pulpits in America have left off preaching, Thus saith the Lord. For many years now, our pulpits in America have been too lackadaisical and too lenient. We have a society of people with itching ears that want to only hear smooth things. And far too many churches realize that if they preach hard preaching, they won't have big crowds. So they've left off the hard preaching. And what's happened? We now have a generation in America who put God on the back shelf and only take him out on special days. We have churches that will only, only take God out on holy days. We have churches that have replaced preaching with, with dramas and, and with cantatas and, and with plays. And they throw a little five or ten minute devotion in there and they call that preaching. We have churches that have left off proper worship unto God and have, 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 have done, gone to nothing but, but platform parties on Sunday. Preachers who have thrown their jackets off and their ties off and their shirts off and are preaching in their shorts and their t-shirts with their sandals. Preachers who have a, a smile that has been surgically placed on their face so that no matter what's happening in their life, they have this big old bright smile as they preach, God loves you. Amen. And all the while, God is in heaven, and he's looking down. And just like they did in Judges, and just like they did in, in the days of, 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 the, of the patriarchs, the children of God are doing evil in his sight, and it is angering the Lord, and judgment will fall. We're whining and complaining and crying in America about our economy. We deserve what we get tonight. We deserve to have God turn his back on us and say, figure out how you're going to pay your bills. You rob from me. You, you, you go off and play on my day. God in heaven, you owe us nothing. We deserve what you give us tonight. But it's high time some men, and I mean M-E-N, men stand up and say, my, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I've had to get to the point, trying to get teenagers to show up for church, I've had to come to the point where I'm preaching down their throats in chapel every Wednesday. Why? Because they run mom, mom runs dad. So if I want them here, I, I, I may as well bypass dad, because he's just a figurehead. And i got to step around mom because she'll bite my head off. I'll just go straight to the kids. Maybe they still have enough character left to do right. It's time that we stand up and worship our God as we've been called to do. It's time that we, God's children in America, start living lives that are worthy of our creator. Listen, forget about make me a servant until we learn to be in the place of service. Folks, I tell you what, 
I worry about this nation for my grandchildren. My grandchildren. Not my grand dogs, my grandchildren. <laughs> but I do worry about what they're going to have left. I worry about what kind of churches they're going to have. Because the generation we're raising is going to be the start of the apostate churches. And we're going to see a great decline in this nation in righteousness. It, it, we're not seeing anything yet. Unless we change. Because praise the Lord. My Bible says if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear in heaven, and then will I heal their land. It's up to you. It's up to me. We've got to start raising these children. We got, we've got to teach these children of the great might and power of the great miracles and the great wonder of God so that they will grow up and, and tell this world, you have nothing for me. I desire the Lord. We worry so much about, will our children be the next president? Will they be a doctor? Will they be a lawyer? Will they be millionaires? And all the while, we don't care about their souls. We have no concern for the churches that they'll have and the preaching that they'll hear. You know, there's one, there's many great, wonderful things about God, but one of the greatest things about God, I think of Samson. Samson wasted his life, did he not? But right at the end, he killed more of God's enemies at the end than he did during his entire life because God never gave up on Samson. His hair began to grow back. He became humbled. And he called unto his God for one last time, and God answered him. When was the last time you knelt at your bed and prayed for an hour and wept for your children that they would have a, a good church to attend? When was the last time? Oh, we pray for our jobs, don't we? And we pray for all those things that God has already told us not to worry about that he would give us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. You don't need to worry about a job. You don't need to worry about food. You don't need to worry about clothes. You don't need to worry about shelter. You don't need to worry about any of that because God's already told you I'm going to give it to you. What you do need to worry about is the spiritual condition of our community where your children will grow. You need to worry about our church and make sure that our church is healthy, and, and that your children will have a church to attend. It's time to draw a line in the sand. Say, no more. We don't go any further. We live for the Lord. I'm going to ask Brother Moline and the ladies to come. We're not going to close with, uh, I've decided to follow Jesus or, or coming again. I want to sing a, a chorus of make me a servant. Next Wednesday night, I'm going to give us some practical applications concerning being a servant of Christ. I pray you'll be here. But let's all stand together. If you need a hymn book, look at hymn number 669 as we sing together, Make Me a Servant.
Yes, sir. 